One of the things that is uh, beneficial to just going through a book of the Bible is you find yourself uh, sometimes focused on things that you uh, might not choose. And, and there's a recognition that all of Scripture uh, is for our benefit and communicates uh, truth to us. And so we find ourselves here in 1 Samuel chapter 27 with multiple difficult things. Uh, but hopefully uh, what we'll find is hope from the Word of God, challenge and and hope here. Um, a challenge to think about things that we might not be thinking about. I have uh, recently watched uh, some of the Jack Ryan series on uh, Amazon Prime. You may have that streaming service. Um, uh, just to uh, refer back to what Dan mentioned last week, uh, this is not a, uh, an age-appropriate one. It's not the Harrison Ford Jack Ryan or the Alec Baldwin Jack Ryan from... Uh, Years ago, I'm old. So uh, it, it's a little bit uh, rougher. But there's a scene that happens uh, with a, uh, something that happens in a lot of stories, movies, TV shows, books, that there's an outside threat. And in this particular case, there's an outside threat against the U.S. Embassy in Caracas, Venezuela. And, and there are crowds that are pouring over the fence. They're throwing Molotov cocktails. And it's not going to go well for anybody who is uh, in the in the embassy when they finally breach the perimeter and so they're trying to get out and there's some escaping through tunnels and some and and helicopters and and there's rightfully focused on these outside pressures and threats uh, this outside enemy but what happens is you you realize that there was a failure to uh, to recognize the threats on the inside a spy on the inside that turns uh, one of the good guys over to the enemy because they were so focused outside they didn't focus on what was going on uh, inside. We very appropriately have been thinking about the things going on outside or around us, whether it's the pandemic and the sickness or death that it has brought or the isolation that it has brought, uh, the uncertainty, uh, whether it's uh, injustice, uh, racial or otherwise, whether it is um, broken relationships and the, uh, the fraying of relationships in families and a lot of churches uh, politically and, uh, and socially. And, and we, we talk about those things because we recognize that they are real issues. And we, we don't know at this point the impact of all of these things that have happened over the last year and a half on us as individuals, as families, as a church, as a culture. We'll be learning the negative impacts of those things and hopefully seeing redemptive impact as well. But those things are real and true and they matter. And we are right to think about and focus on those things. But we make a mistake if we do that without focusing on what's going on inside. And we could talk about that, what, what goes on inside our church, and hopefully we'd, we'd talk about that, what goes on inside the faith. But here we find this picture of what is going on inside each of us as individuals in our own hearts. And the sin that is there, we can call it sin, or missing the mark, or not living as God created us to, or rebellion against him. But we find that this is what is happening with David, and this is what is happening with, with those around him in this passage. And there's a challenge for us here, but I think as well, uh, a hope. So let me pray for us, and we'll take a look at the sins uh, being a problem for, for everyone, for David, and then some implications for us. Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds to the truth of your word, that you would convict us, 
and that you would draw us into repentance and hope in the good news of Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we can jump into what is probably the, 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 the bit of this passage uh, that is most problematic. Let, let's just remind ourselves of what's going on here. David has been for uh, quite some time fleeing from Saul. Uh, Saul has been anointed as king. He's the king of the people of God of Israel. This is the way that the people of God existed at this time as a nation state with an army and, uh, and boundaries and rules that, that apply to the people of God. Now the people of God are the church. So there's a difference. But here, the people of God are a nation. It's the nation of Israel. And, and Saul is the king, but he has been told by God, by his prophets, that he is no longer going to be king because he has rebelled against God. He has turned away from him. And that David is going to be king. And yet, Saul has repeatedly threatened and pursued David to kill him. And so David has been on the run, and he finds himself in this position essentially rightfully, understandably being tired of being on the run, and he sees the solution is running to his enemy, the Philistines. Achish is a Philistine. He's one of the Philistine leaders, and uh, he is going to run to Achish, and and then Saul will cease to uh, search for him, and that's exactly what happens. Um, And and it's understandable that this is, is going to be the case. But then, in that position, he has to provide for himself and his soldiers and their families and he finds himself raiding the raiders. So in verses uh, 8, 9, and 10, we see this picture of David going up against these different groups of people, including the Amalekites, these folks that we know. We could spend time talking about how uh, horrible these folks were and the, the human sacrifices, they did, all those kind of things. And, and yet, what we do not find in this passage, and this happens in a lot of narrative in the Old Testament, is we don't see God... Uh, speaking to this is a good thing or this is a bad thing. But we can uh, infer a lot from the rest of Scripture. Uh, We we do not see God condoning the wiping out of these people. It it should feel problematic for us in verse 9 that David would strike the land and would leave neither man nor woman alive. And and he does this because he's trying to provide for his people. So there's there's some sympathy communicated, and, and yet it doesn't excuse what David is doing here. And, and we could talk about that, and we could try to uh, talk about the fact that David is not doing what he's supposed to here. But we also know, if we know the Bible, that there are other parts where God does call his people to wipe out the Canaanites. But what do we do with that? that? That understandably feels really uncomfortable for us. And, and I'm just going to say a few things, but I, I want to recognize the weight and the heaviness of this reality. And uh, encourage you, as we, as we talk about the story of God, and as we've talked about the resurrection, we're still in this Easter tide time where we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, these, these parts of the story that we love to hear, that there are parts that are, are more uncomfortable for us that we at times need to deal with. And so there are uh, much more in-depth treatments that I'm able to give in, in a sermon. I encourage you regularly recommend The Reason for God, which addresses a number of reasons to doubt Christianity and addresses those. Uh, Another book, another resource that I would recommend to you that that deals more in depth with this particular issue, the title of the book is, Is God a Moral Monster? Uh, Is is that a question that you ask? Uh, There are resources, again, that can go much more in depth than I can, but let me just note a couple of things. 
One is that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, this is all part of the same story, right? We find uh, the beginning of the story in Genesis 1, creation, then very quickly comes the fall, then redemption of which Jesus' life and death and resurrection is a part, and then in the end, glorification, consummation, the end of the story when all things are made right. And it all fits together. And so as we talk about the good news of Jesus Christ, we often talk about the fact that the good news comes and is good only because it comes in light of the bad news. If you're a member of this church, you have answered yes to the question that basically says that each and every one of us has rebelled against God, has this problem of sin, and as a result, deserves his wrath and judgment. And what we find here, what we find not here necessarily in in chapter 27 of 1 Samuel, what we find sometimes in the Old Testament is that that wrath, that judgment is brought forward in time. In a way that doesn't happen now, as the church is the people of God and, and operates in a very different way than the people of God did as a nation state uh, of Israel. But we find that God's judgment, his wrath, it comes forward in time and it is poured out in that way. And that he uses his people to uh, bring forward that judgment. And, and that as uncomfortable as it is, it highlights the need for the good news of Jesus Christ and the fact that it is good news. The good news comes in light of the bad because what is true of the gospel is that every one of us deserves that justice, that judgment. That's what we confess when we confess the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and there are ways in which we can talk about it and think about it, have seen it play out in the history of the world, that it, it, there are parts of that that feel uncomfortable. And yet the good news is good because it comes in light of what we all deserve. We also recognize that his judgment is ultimately justice. And if we look at this broken world... And we see the brokenness play out and we want any hope for justice. And we cry out for it. We, de- we, we demand justice, right? We, we've seen the, the, the reactions to the court case this last week. The, the trial of Derek Chauvin because of the murder of George Floyd. And, and the desire to see, we could talk about, I recognize uh, that as we talk about whether it's justice or accountability, that, that all of it comes in light of the fact that things are not the way that they're supposed to be. But we all recognize that we don't just say when some evil or brokenness happens that it's just okay, it doesn't matter, we're just going to brush it aside. Our hearts cry out when somebody wrongs us, our hearts cry out for justice. And the problem is that we like to think of ourselves as the judge. So we determine when justice is right and good and true. And what we find all throughout scripture is that that is a mistake. That the judge ultimately is the creator. It is, it is God. And sometimes he judges and brings about justice in ways that might be uncomfortable for us. But it is in light of that reality that we can then turn to the hope that is offered in Jesus Christ, that that judgment, that wrath, the justice that we deserve might be turned away. And we see a brief picture of that here with David. David, though he is sympathetic, it makes sense that he would want to for he and him. He's thinking for these people. He's fleeing for his life. He's constantly in pressure, under pressure. It would make sense that he would want to be freed from that so that he finds himself in this place because he begins to trust in himself and not in God, where he has to, to raid the raiders and wipe them out, where he has to lie to Achish, where he has, in the end of this chapter, finds himself in a position where he is 
needing to fight against his own people. He is the king of Israel, uh, the the promised king of Israel. And yet he's going to find himself at the end where where Achish is saying, come to war. We're going to battle against Israel. You're going to fight with us. Chapter 29, he's delivered from that because the other Philistine leaders are like, "Uh uh-uh. David's not going with us. But he finds himself in a, a pretty problematic position here. And it starts with him not trusting in God. In verse 1, he says, In his heart, now I shall perish one day at the hand of Saul. This Hebrew word, uh, sapa here, is this idea of being swept away. And, and it happens here in verse 1, right after it's been used in chapter 26, verse 10. And what happens in 26, verse 10, is David has recognized that Saul is the anointed one, and he's not going to take his life. He is not going to kill Saul, though it would seem justified. He says the Lord essentially will be able to do it. 26 verse 10, he uses this same word. As the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him. Or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. He's recognizing that the Lord, who has given these promises to him, And the promises that Saul will no longer be king, that the Lord will be able to carry that out. He's trusting in the Lord there, but when it comes to him in his own life, he uses that same word and he's recognizing, you know what, i got to take matters into my own hand. So he enters into this this period not trusting God. This is a good reminder of us here. We we find that we've begun to, to see David as this heroic character, right? He's done really good things. He's the one who at this point has slain bears and lions. He has uh, slain Goliath who was out to destroy his people. He's, he's been the hero, right? He is not the hero here. Even two chapters ago, so two weeks ago, we looked at chapter 25 when he, when he turned away from the, the difficult direction that he was going. From the sinful direction. He, he, before he got there, he repented and turned from it. But here, he just he moves into sin. This is... This is the story. The, the Old Testament is not just a bunch of stories about be like David or be like the leaders. They're not moral stories that we, that we are just to, uh, to imitate the characters of the Old Testament. In fact, it's full of broken people, including here, David, a man after God's own heart. This is David, not trusting, not having faith, going on these raids, lying to Achish and to others. But again, it's it's presented a bit sympathetically. I mean, in in a way that we can understand why he might do that, that that we could excuse his sin. Of course he would want to do that for for him and for for his soldiers and for their families, right? To find some peace there. We do this all the time. We excuse our sin, If we think about all the outside forces that are causing us to experience the stress and brokenness of this world, we can excuse all kinds of things. And we see it happening all around us in the pandemic with uses of uh, alcohol or pornography or just uh, the Internet in general for hours on end. All of that going up during this time in destructive ways, isolation going up in destructive ways. And, and we can begin to excuse some of those things because they bring us temporary satisfaction, temporary relief. We, we can excuse losing our temper with our spouses or our kids or our parents or coworkers or siblings or neighbors or 
friends in the church, right? Like we, we can uh, easily find ourselves judging others in this time, and, and rightfully so with everything that's going on, right? We can excuse all kinds of sin, and we do it regularly. And yet what we find is it's a problem. Sin is a problem. And some of us, we need to be reminded to think about these things and not just focus on to, to recognize that with all the pressures outside and, and sinful as they are and broken as they are, that it's not appropriate to respond with sin ourselves, with rebellion against God, with ways that we were not created to live. Some of us need to hear that and be reminded of that. But let's recognize that some of us need to hear the story, the full story, and the picture of David, this sinner, this one who rebels against God, who does things that he's not supposed to do, the fact that God still loves him and cares for him and uses him. We, we, we might have grown up in churches that focus only on the sin and, and use it as, as guilt manipulation. We find that outside the church as well with the standards that are, are given to us by our culture and we have to live up to these things or, or you're out, right? But what we find is a God who uses repentant sinners, who uses people who do not get it together. That's David. And David is messy, super messy. And we know some of the sin that he gets into in the future and it is deep and it is dark. And, and yet... God uses him. But part of it is because David is is a man that recognizes this truth and steps into it. And and in multiple places in the Psalms, we have a lot of David's words recognizing his sin and need for the forgiveness of God. Let me read just a few of his words from Psalm 103. We can look at Psalm 51, which is directly tied to his sin with uh, Uriah and Bathsheba. But then Uh, We find Psalm 32, and it's more general, Psalm 103 here. I'm going to read Psalm 103, starting with verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So there's this recognition, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, that the Lord's primary posture toward his people is one of love. That doesn't mean that the anger doesn't exist. It doesn't mean that there's not judgment and and wrath there, but that's not his primary posture. His primary posture is one of mercy and graciousness, that the anger is slow, but he is abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. And and, and David is throughout there owning the fact that uh, the Lord offers forgiveness for those who are imperfect. And that is every single one of us. That God is a God of grace, of love, of care. And that he he embraces David and us in this love and care. So there's a call then for us to walk in this, to recognize what what are the implications for us. It's to to recognize the implications of sin, of its brokenness, of our, our, our need for forgiveness. But to recognize that God uses us even when we don't get it together. Because we never will completely. We just won't be able to do that. And so we repent and we trust. And here's one clue of how we might move forward in that direction. 
Here's where David makes a mistake here, but gets it right in other places. In verse one, David says in his heart, we might call this, you've heard the the term self-talk and it happens in scripture. The, The truth that we speak to ourselves, we talk about speaking the gospel to ourselves, preaching the gospel to ourselves regularly. And and here we find it just with ourselves, but it's also true that we would do it with one another, that we would proclaim the gospel and the good news of Jesus and the hope that comes despite our sin and brokenness to one another. Part of that's what happens as we sing and confess and hear the word of God proclaimed on Sunday mornings, but we do it in community groups. We do it in relationship. We proclaim the good news to one another. David here is saying to himself something that's not true. He's not trusting in God here in verse one, that we do know that in other places, Psalm 62 verse five is one of those places. I'll read that real quick. For God alone, O my soul. This is after he has talked about waiting in silence, having all kinds of brokenness, all kinds of outside pressures. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and salvation. My fortress, I shall not be shaken. He speaks to his soul, to his heart. That's a call for us. And one of the ways we do that is through the word of God. Let me encourage you to read the word of God, to to recognize that it is living and powerful, as Paul tells us in 1 Timothy. It is active in our lives. It proclaims the truth to us. That there is hope in in Jesus. If, if, If you need somewhere to start, like sometimes it's, where do I start? On the way out, grab one of those prayer and reading guides. They're going to be available out there. They're, they're, they look a little bit like the worship guide. They're not the worship guide. Uh, pick that up and, and use that as a guide to read the word and be shaped by it, to proclaim the truth to yourself, to have it actually proclaimed to you by the Lord as you read his word. It will shape you and change you. It will allow you to move forward in repentance and turn from sin. Come to the Lord's table if you've confessed him. This is going to be this proclamation, this physical proclamation experience reminding us of the hope that is offered in God. The fact that his death was necessary for us, that the wrath that we deserve, every single one of us would be turned away to Jesus. And that it would then lead to the resurrection, which is the resurrection power for us. But let us remember that hope that Jesus loves and cares for his people who turn from their sin and trust in him even as they struggle with it their whole lives. This is the hope of the gospel. Let's-